Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. We are an ACC church based on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. We'd love for you to join us on any given Sunday. In the meantime, we hope this message blesses you. It is my privilege to be able to uh, continue the series that we've been in for the past few weeks. And um, I want to just read the scripture that our series is based on. And it's from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Um, We're talking about, this is the series title, Soar, as in taking flight as in ascending from where you are now and uh, going into everything that God has in store for you. And so you'll know if you've been here for the past few weeks, we've covered subjects such as honour, humility, um, unforgiveness, uh, generosity. These are all topics that uh, the belief is if you address these issues, these are principles that will help your life elevate. They will help your life ascend and then take off. And this is based on the word that Pastor Ben received from God for our church uh, for 2022, and that is that we are on the fly. Uh, last year was that we were on the rise, but how many of you know that once you rise, you've actually got to do something while you're up there? And so the belief is that we're going to be on the fly. We're going to be moving, progressing, and soaring into everything that God has for us. And so we're going to continue today, and I'm going to speak about a subject that is difficult because it's probably the most unpopular subject, um, (laughs) I believe, in this series. Not only that, it's probably one of the hardest to to kind of do. Um, Not only that, but this word has kind of, it's sort of uh, the meaning of it, it's kind of looked down on in our kind of culture, in our generation. It's something that's kind of seen as something that's weak. And and so it's a tough subject to cover, but I'm going to do my best. And and so today, I'm going to talk on the subject of obedience. (laughs) obedience. I just heard an audible groan there from some people, so obedience. It's it's kind of like one of those, uh, nowadays it seems like an antiquated, old-fashioned kind of word, because no one wants to be seen as kind of subservient or or weak-willed, and it kind of, you know, someone that just obeys. But I want to talk about biblical obedience in particular. Biblical obedience. In fact, the, the word obedience comes from the original word is hupakeo, and it literally means to come under what you hear. It, it means to, to come under uh, the word that you have God, you've heard God speak. And so it means to actually come under the authority. It's actually the same as submission. Sub meaning under, that's where we get the word submarine from, under the marine, under the water. Subheading, it's that underneath the main heading. Submission simply just means to come under the mission. To come under the mission of the organization you're a part of, uh, the church you're in, uh, even the marriage that you're in. Hello, it's to come under. Single ladies, uh, if you are being courted right now, just ask the bloke, what's your mission? 
Uh, let me just see if I'll, you're worth me submitting to. Let me just see if it's worth me coming under uh, that mission that you have in life. Um, I want to know specifics. So that's really what obedience is kind of implying. It is to come under what we're hearing from God. And so um, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and, and this is a really interesting uh, passage of Scripture, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of, um, I'm just going to summarize this. But um, God is speaking through Moses to the people of Israel, to God's people. And he basically summarizes, this is the summary of what obedience brings. It's basically, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you will be cursed. So that is basically the, the, the simplified version of what Moses is saying to God's people in Deuteronomy. He says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today. So he's just saying this. It's really, really simple. If you want to be blessed, obey God's commandments. If you want to be cursed, then reject his commandments and go your own way. And so Romans kind of, it sort of summarizes again what happens in human history. And in Romans chapter 5 verse 19, the Apostle Paul says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And there is this play on what is happening right here. There is this contrast. He's saying the first Adam he was disobedient in the Garden of Eden, and as a result of that, sin entered into the world and eventually death. But the second Adam, he was obedient in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as a result of that, salvation and life came out of his act of obedience. So here's this, here's this play on that is happening, and basically, under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the act of obedience was based on the law. It was based on obeying the law, obeying the commandments. Jesus comes in the New Testament not to remove or erase the law, not to remove or erase what the law said, but to fulfill it. And so John chapter 14, verse 15, tells us exactly Jesus' take on this. He says, if you really love me, you will keep my, and obey my commandments. If you really love me, you will keep and obey my commandments. Notice the switch there. We have under the old covenant law, but under the new covenant love. Jesus is saying it is no longer based on you just obeying because the religious leaders were great at obeying the law, but they were absent when it came to love. And so Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The proof that you follow me the proof that you belong to me is by your love. It is not in your ability to memorize scripture. It's not in how much you give or how great your church attendance is. All of that is great and it's necessary. But he says, no, no, no. It is actually evident by your obedience. Your obedience communicates how much you love me. Matthew 23, uh, 22, this actually tells us what we're actually meant to be obedient to. 
And I love the fact that Jesus just simplifies everything. Because in the Old Testament, there were hundreds and hundreds of laws and commandments. Jesus simplifies it in Matthew 22. Jesus says to the Pharisees, uh, they're talking about the great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he's saying, here's what you need to do. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, uh, and, and, and body, everything, basically. And love your neighbor like you love yourself, putting them before yourself, putting them first. So he has basically summarized that. And he said, everything that the prophets, the law talks about in the Old Testament this actually, if you do these two, you will actually fulfill all the rest. And so that's why I'm talking about obedience today, because I believe that for uh, many of us, there is something that God has been speaking to us about that maybe we haven't been obedient to. And, and I've come today not to point fingers, uh, not to condemn, not to highlight anyone's faults. If I'm going to start with myself if I do that. But it is, maybe it is just a reminder that God's grace is here and his grace empowers us to be obedient to the things that maybe we find difficult, obedient to the things that maybe we don't want to do. But I believe that as we do that, our lives will soar. Our lives will ascend. They will go to another level. Amen. So before we go into what obedience is and, and what it brings I thought maybe we need to highlight what isn't obedience. Uh, what gets passed off for obedience, but it's not really obedience, it's really disobedience. And so the first thing I want to look at is partial obedience. Partial obedience. Just doing part of what you were told. And, and, and the great example of this is the tragic story of King Saul. The first king of Israel... He was giving a specific task. You need to go in and you need to wipe out this entire group of people. They're the Amalekites. Not only that, but you need to destroy all of their possessions, all their flocks, all their herds, because God was bringing judgment on a people that were a part of a group that when the nation of Israel came out of bondage, out of Egypt, and they were in the wilderness, uh, these people would pick off uh, the weak uh, and the fragile, the vulnerable, the elderly, the sick, uh, people in um, the nation of Israel that were right up the back. And God was saying, I'm bringing judgment and you are my instrument of judgment. So I need you to go out and I need you to wipe them all out. The tragic story is that Saul goes in and he only does part of what he's actually told to do. As a result of that, it cost him the throne and the kingdom, and he brought disaster on himself. In fact, the story picks up, we're going to read it in 1 Samuel, that Saul has left King Agag, the king of the Amalekites, he's left him alive. And you've got to ask, why would you leave the king alive? And the reality is, Saul had an issue with pride. Uh, he was forever building monuments to himself when he should have just been obedient to what God was asking him. And so if you have a living king of your enemies, he becomes like a trophy that you can parade around and say, look what we've done. Look at this guy. You know, he's now my prisoner. 
And so he has left him alive and they have taken the best of the herds and the flocks and they've kept it for themselves. Samuel walks in and, uh, and this is what he says to, uh, to uh, Saul. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Really, he's saying, you had one job, mate. You had one job. Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. You notice that? Partial obedience. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgag. Samuel's reply, listen to this. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Partial obedience. It is doing what God's asked us to do, but doing it on our terms. And God's saying, no, 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 that's actually disobedience. The second one, the second one I want to uh, talk about is delayed obedience. First one was partial obedience. Second one is delayed obedience. In Genesis chapter 19, we hear this story about a gentleman by the name of Lot, and he is Abraham's nephew. And he is living in a little town called Sodom. And God is about to bring judgment on this, uh, on this city. And uh, what we find here is God attempts to rescue Lot, but there is some sort of holdup. And so Genesis chapter 19, verse 15 to 16, it says this, When morning dawned, the angels who had been sent to rescue Lot and his family, they urged Lot to hurry, saying, Get up! Take your wife and two daughters who are here and go, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated and lingered. The men took hold of his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters because the Lord was merciful to him for Abraham's sake. And they brought him out and left him outside the city with his family. What you've got to know about this story is there were two angels that were sent to rescue Lot and his family. Those two angels, they arrived as the sun was setting. They spent the, the entire night trying to get Lot and his family out. For some reason, Lot, the Bible says, he lingered. Maybe it was the familiarity of, of, of Sodom. Maybe it was the unbelief that he couldn't survive outside of the city. But it came to the point as the sun was rising that the angels pretty much just said, enough's enough, grab them, and said, let's go, we've got to run, we're going out. It is that delayed obedience that actually brought disaster on Lot. If you know the story, his wife turns back and she looks back, even though they were told, do not turn around, she becomes a pillar of salt. He negotiates where they were going to go. They were instructed to go to the mountains. He says, let me just settle in this little nearby town, a town called Zoa. And so they settled there. 
as a result of that later on, they go to the mountains. He has an incestuous relationship with his daughters. They then produce a people that become a, a hindrance to the uh, children of Israel later on. All of this happened because he kind of did what he was meant to do, but there was a delay because of unbelief, because of other things. And that delayed obedience was really disobedience. Um, many years ago, I visited a church in Brisbane, and it was a beautiful-looking church, and, uh, and they just completed this amazing renovation uh, inside where, you know, they were able to enlarge their, their capacity uh, for um, seating and also their stage. And, and the, uh, the pastor later on, he was telling me this story about a gentleman that um, came in first after uh, they had completed the renovation. And they noticed this elderly gentleman. He would sit up the back and he would just weep. He would just weep and team sort of went up and tried to, you know, see what was okay, but he would just leave. And then finally he did this uh, a few weeks in a row and then the pastor managed to, to get him and they went aside and he said, what, what is it? And um, this gentleman ended up talking about the fact that over 20 years ago, he was actually the pastor of this church. And he pulled out some plans and he unrolled it. They were designs and the designs and the plans were exactly for what the church had just built. And the reason why he was weeping was because he said, God actually told me to do this over 20 years ago. But I said I would do it eventually and I couldn't do it right then because what would the people think? We were already sort of, you know, the finances and, and, and do we really need this? And, and so what happened is unfortunate circumstances. They had change of a couple of times, change of leadership. And as a result of that, he walks in and he sees what God had actually told him to do completed by someone else. It's incredible because, you know, he then had to live with the weight of that regret that weight of, you know, if I had to just stepped out in faith. I've mentioned this before about the great evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, you know, who, who touched nations, but in particular the great continent of Africa. And he was talking one day to God and, and he said, Lord, why, why did you choose me? Why did you choose me to do this great work? And he was shocked at God's response when God said, actually, you weren't my first choice. In fact, you weren't my second choice. Uh, so the great Reinhard Bonnke, one of the greatest evangelists in human history, ended up being the third person on God's list. But the reason why he ended up doing it is because the other two said no, but he said, here I am, send me. Here I am, I'll do it, and I'll do it now. I'm not going to wait until it's convenient. I will do it now. And as a result, his legacy continues to live on. Delayed obedience. It's really disobedience. And, and then finally, the last one, and this is my favorite because I'm guilty of this. We, maybe we all are. It's selective obedience. It's selective obedience. It's treating the Bible like a buffet. Uh, let me get some of that. Let me get a little bit of that, but I'm not having any of that. And, and we see this in the illustration or the example that Jesus has with a certain young man known as the rich young ruler. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, they were going out on the road. One came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice his posture. 
He's done everything right. He's come in. It's a posture of worship submission. What should I do? Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't be a false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Can't you just see him puffing his chest out and, and, and just saying it just loud enough that everyone could hear? Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possession. Now, the point of this story, which is so important, it is not about wealth. It is not about great possessions. It's not about riches. There is no issue with having that. The issue here is whatever comes between you and God. You see, God is obligated to tear down every stronghold in our lives. God is obligated to remove any idol, anything that we have elevated before God. And God's saying, for you, it's actually your possessions. But here's the cure. Here's the solution. You ready? Sell it. Go get rid of it. Go get rid of it. Come and follow me. Get that. He was getting a personal invitation to come and be a follower of Jesus. But it says he walked away heartbroken. Selective obedience. I am great at this. Look at this checklist. Look at what I've done. Tick and flick. Everything. Haven't committed adultery. Haven't stolen. Honor my parents. All of this. Jesus says, yeah, yeah, but there's this one thing I need you to do. And he says, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. And, and it reminds me of the great words of that great American philosopher, Meatloaf, where he says, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And sometimes we come to God and we're like that. Lord, we worship you. Oh, love you, Lord. Go and forgive that person that betrayed you and hurt you. I won't do that. Lord, I love you, God. I, I worship you. I want you to go serve those people. I want you to give to this. I won't do that. And God's saying, selective obedience. Selective obedience is really disobedience. So now that we know what isn't obedience, let's go to what is. Okay, are you okay? It's not too heavy. You know, sometimes we need a bit of whole food, not just takeaway, amen, not just fast food. Sometimes we need to eat our veggies and today is a little bit like whole foods. Today is a little bit like we've got to, uh, we, we've got to take this stuff. It's important for our growth. And so here's the first thing I want you to know about obedience. Obedience is worship. Obedience is worship. Understand that when you are obedient to God, when you are obedient, and regardless of how you feel, regardless of what the cost is, that is actually worship. Genesis chapter 22 uh, tells the story of Abraham, and God gives him this crazy command. 
And uh, you know the story of Abraham, him and his wife, Sarah. They couldn't have children. They have their promised son that they had to wait 25 years for, Isaac. He comes along. God waits for years until Isaac has grown up. Then one day he interrupts Abraham, this great life that he's built. And he says to him, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. Notice how God's qualifying this. He's qualifying this because Abraham's got another son, Ishmael. And, uh, and he's saying, no, 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 not, the one, not that one, this one. The one that you waited 25 years for, the one that you love, take him uh, and, uh, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Watch what Abraham does. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Three days of walking, knowing that you were about to sacrifice your son. Three days of wandering. And Abraham said to his young men, watch this, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. The word worship there, it is, it is actually the word shakar, and, and the origin of that word, it literally means to come under. It is a posture of coming under what you have just heard, what you have just been instructed. The word worship there is also the very first time we see the word worship in all of Scripture. That's where it is, worship. And if you know the, the biblical law of first mention, every time a first word is introduced, the meaning then is carried out for the rest of Scriptures. So he uses the word worship there, and get this, there is no sign of any instruments. They were not climbing Mount Moriah to get to the top to sing a slow song. Worship is not a musical genre. It is, not, it is not a slow song. Worship is obedience even when you don't feel like it. I don't want to kill my son. I, I waited for him. He was a promise for 25 years and now, but I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to worship you even when I don't understand, even when I don't feel like doing it, even when I, want, I don't want to do it. Obedience is worship. Every time we do something that we don't feel like it, it's hard. It's hard to forgive someone who has hurt you and who has betrayed you and has spoken ill against you. But it's worship when you do it because you are acting in obedience with what God is saying. It's hard to restore things that have been fractured previously because of mistrust and all of that. But we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's not an invitation back, but it's God saying, you need to be free. You need to be healed. And the only way you're going to do that is if you're obedient and you go. And it's why Jesus said crazy stuff like, pray for your enemies, bless those that curse you. Because he knew when you were obedient to those things, you actually set yourself free and your life will begin to soar. Obedience is worship. We know this as well because Saul failed this test. But the Bible says of David in Acts 13, 22, and, and this is a summary. When God had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king 
to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. He will be obedient with everything I ask him to. That's what makes him a man after my own heart. I used to think that David was a man after God's heart is because he was, you know, a musical worshipper. He was great on the harp. But God's saying, no, no, no. The reason why he's a man after my heart, the reason why he's a worshipper is he's obedient with everything. Unlike his predecessor Saul, who had selective or partial or delayed obedience, David's not like that. David is a man after my own heart, which was incredible at a time when people were looking for God's hand. Let your hand of power be with me. Let your hand of authority come upon me. Let your hand for breakthrough. And David's saying, yeah, yeah, that's all great, but I don't just want your hand. I want your heart. I actually want your heart. And he's saying to God, in fact, what do you want? Whatever you want, that's what I want to do. That's amazing. That's revolutionary. And if we grab a hold of that, it will change our lives. God is gracious and he will give us everything that we need. But when we come and say, what do you want, Lord? What do you want? That's when we become people after his heart. The second thing about obedience is that obedience is faith with feet. Obedience is faith with feet. You can't just have passive obedience. You can't have inactive obedience. The sign that you are obedient is that your feet begin to move in the direction maybe that you don't feel like uh, to do something that you don't want to do, but obedience shows up in our feet. Joshua chapter 1, God gives this amazing promise to, uh, to Joshua after the death of Moses. And it says in verse 2 and 3, he says this promise, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you. That is a great promise and we love hearing that. The only problem is the place where he was going was a place filled with giants. It was a place filled with fortified cities. And God's saying, I'll give it to you, but you've got to get going. You've got to be obedient. You've got to walk it out. You, you've got, he, he wasn't, it's easy to tip throw, you know, tiptoe through the tulips and all the beautiful, lovely promises that don't cost me anything, that, that, that don't, you know, affect me in any way. But he's saying, no, 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 for this one, you're actually going to have to get moving. And as you move, I'm going to give that to you. So watch this, Joshua chapter 6, he's having another conversation with God and God says, see, the city, it's all shut up and I've given it to you. And here's the strategy for you to get it. What's the strategy? Just get walking. Just start walking around it for six days and on the seventh day, seven times, and I am going to give it to you. And because of that obedience that was evident, through his feet, he got everything that God had promised him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 5, John says this, We can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, doesn't love the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul and body, and doesn't love his neighbor as, as he loves himself, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. They're God's words, not my words. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we are living in him. Again, the evidence 
of the fact that we know God, we love God, it's, sh- it's shown in our obedience. It is actually shown up in our obedience. Jesus one time says to a group of people, why do you call me Lord? What, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I'm asking? It, it's it's an oxymoron then. It's a contradiction. If we call him Lord, it actually means that we will do whatever it is that he's asking us to do. And, and music team, why don't you head on up? The, the last thing about obedience, and, and this is a biggie. This is the one that I really want to land on. Are you ready? Private obedience precedes public promotion. Let me say that again. Private obedience precedes public promotion. What you do in secret when no one is watching, that's what qualifies you to get the promotion when everyone is watching. This is from the, uh, the story of Joseph in uh, Genesis. And you know the story. He's a 17-year-old kid, gets sold into slavery. He's far from home. Uh, he ends up looking after this general's house, Potiphar. But because of God upon him, God's spirit with him, he gets promoted. He's a great worker. But at the same time, Potiphar's wife is trying to hit onto him. And you can imagine she's not ugly. She's married to a powerful uh, Egyptian general. So you can imagine, you know, she's got all this stuff going on. And the Bible says this, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Amen. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. This is a young man. He's got needs. He's far from home. No one knows him. No one's looking. It's just him and her. And even in that scenario, he still says, no, no. Although no one else might be looking, I know God's looking. And that matters to me. He refused to disobey God in private, even though we could kind of understand if he did. And because of that, years later, Genesis chapter 41, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh, as a result of him doing that and giving him this incredible solution and strategy, Pharaoh says to him in verse 41, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand, placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And when that cry went out, kneel down, Potiphar and his wife, they were kneeling. They were kneeling along with everyone else. The fact that he was obedient to God when no one was watching, God promoted him when everyone was watching. This actually was the same for Jesus. 
that earlier passage of scripture that I talked about, through the obedience of one man, many became righteous. That's talking about Jesus wrestling in the garden of Gethsemane, where the Bible says he prayed earnestly and he prayed with such intensity that he sweat droplets of blood. And his prayer was, Lord, if there is any other way, please let this cup pass. Yet, not my will, but thine will be done. Because he settled the matter in private. Three days later, he had a very, very public resurrection. Defeated death. Death, where is your sting? That's what the writer wrote. Because he settled it privately, God promoted him publicly. And I want to close with this. Philippians chapter 2, it tells us this about Jesus and about us and how we're to adopt what he did. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him. That's where we saw, elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess or declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because of his obedience God elevated and promoted him Thank you so much for joining us. Stay tuned for new messages weekly. You can keep updated on what's happening in the life of King's Church by following us on social media at King's Church GC. Be blessed.